Welcome to Beyond Sunday, a new season of Better on the Inside. This is your host and digital pastor, John Pyle. What's up, y'all? Hey, my guest this week is Nathan Perrin, and Nathan is a really cool guy, like a legitimately cool guy. And our conversation, it's one of those like, winding, wonderful conversations. And the pace is a little bit different um, than a lot of our podcasts because Nathan is such a thoughtful individual. We talk about suffering. We talk about art. We talk about redemption, repentance. We talk about mental health. Like we talk so much about a lot of cross sections, especially art and culture. And we do talk a lot about suffering as well. And so imagine us like on on a hot Texas day. It makes me think of a hot Texas day sitting by a body of water. There's a cool breeze coming through. Uh, Maybe we crack open a couple of Lone Stars or Root Beers or or, or Topo Chico's. Oh yeah, Topo Chico's, that'd be perfect. And we're just sitting there talking and there's no rush. There's no rush in time. There's nothing that we feel like we're wasting our day. We're not worried about what's happening. And so, man, I was just so thankful for Nathan and his creativity and all of his his thinking and writing. And he's just a... He's a cool dude. And so I really hope you enjoy this episode. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside. I'm here with my friend, Nathan. Nathan, how are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. It's a little presumptuous maybe to call you a friend. Like we've interacted, you know, a fair amount online, but like we're not like deep old besties yet. Yet. Uh, Yet. Yeah. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Oh, big time introvert. Um, I, the Myers Briggs, I'm an INTP and I'm an Enneagram 5. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Well, I'm the extrovert that adopts you. You know how oh, extroverts adopt introverts? Like, there's immediately that energy in our relationship of me being like, hi, I'm your extrovert. I'm going to make you <laughs> talk about stuff. Yeah, that's like half my friends. So you're welcome, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nathan, why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, kind of what you do? Well, I am a Mennonite pastor out in Chicagoland. Uh, one of the the congregation I work at is Lombard Mennonite Church. Um, since, um, you know, it's about five miles from Wheaton College. So um, they like to call themselves the Evangelical Harvard. <laughs> but, Ooh. yeah, it's really fun. It, I'm not going to go into that, but, <clears throughs> <laughs> but yeah, about, um, so I am located in a community that's pretty, um, acad- you know, my, the congregation I serve is pretty academically leaning. Um, but yeah, my job is to kind of oversee, um, Christian formation within a congregation, looking at the Sunday school stuff, but also working broadly. I also do a lot of, uh, work with the youth. And that's so awesome. Yeah, that's my gig. And I'm also a uh, multi-genre writer. I am a currently a screenwriter, and I have a few stories published. And I'm also working on my doctorate in Christian community development at Northern Seminary. Dude, what a, what a resume. <laughs> you do like five really cool things. Um, <laughs> yeah. at, least, at least five really cool things. Yeah, I live a really uh, full, rich life. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Oh man. And here, part of what uh, part of what's cool about it is that you're actually the second Mennonite pastor that I've oh, had on man. the show. I think I've had Mennonite pastors on the show more than like Baptist pastors or non-denominational <laughs> pastors. So shout out to the Mennonites, man. I love yeah. I love the tradition. Yeah, we got an Academy Award for Women Talking, and you know, yeah. <laughs> we got Melissa Ford Bexler. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. That's who I interviewed. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, she, well, she's great, and Women Talking was also great. But man, the feel-good movie of the year, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that was rough. That was rough to watch, but very important. Oh, extremely challenging. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nathan and I have connected over a number of things. Film, we love film. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can hear, he's a prolific writer that does a lot of different kinds of things. We had a whole conversation about Halloween and John Carpenter and Halloween Ends and how Halloween Ends was just, it still makes me mad. If I if I talk too much about it, I'm going to go off and this whole podcast 
is going to be us like rewriting the how the recent halloween trilogy jamie lee curtis needs to repent yeah jlc come on baby uh, come on girl you can do it but nathan one of the things that when we kind of connected something to talk about was just we talked about your writing and how you're not writing for a christian market like yeah. that's not who you're aiming your writing at and i I wanted to talk about your spiritual journey and making peace with your creativity and what that looked like. And then also being like, nah, I'm not going to go into the Christian market with your writing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's um, kind of a longer story, but I'll try to get We got up. time, bro. Yeah. We got time. Oh, awesome. All right. So uh, that's always dangerous to tell a pastor, as you know, but. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Yeah. That is a that is a very real joke. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I was at a uh, conference once where they went around asking pastors, "Where have you seen God?" I'm like, "Oh, we're going to be here for two hours." <laughs> check check the watch. Be like, "Hey, honey, uh, don't keep di- don't keep dinner warm for me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be well, a minute. They're great people, but um, yeah. So my uh, spiritual journey with writing, uh, so I grew up in kind of a rough neighborhood. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, it was uh, near Commerce City, Colorado. Okay. And um, writing was really a way for me to cope with uh, the trauma I was seeing around me. You know, I had a lot of, um, you know, memories I had to unpack later on. Um, you know, for instance, you know, one of my neighbors was murdered. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, watching people kind of, you know, my friends especially get involved with like drugs and stuff. And so um, to add a weird layer to this, I was also raised very fundamentalist, Um, which, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm a pastor now when I look back at it. But (laughs) (laughs) so um, writing kind of became... my way to cope with the world around me. Mm. And um, one of the women, uh, she was a fifth grade teacher. Her name was uh, Mrs. Garrick. We're connected still. But she um, asked us to do a report on, uh, you know, states. We were learning about it. And I was really, really fascinated with the Jersey Devil. And the Mm. Jersey Devil for normal people is like this mythic, kind of monster that people claim to spot still around this day around yeah. New Jersey. And that's not the scariest part of New Jersey, but that's what people claim, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so I was about 11. And so I wrote up this uh, short story about the Jersey devil. And I was like, this will count technically. This will be fine. And I handed it in to my teacher. And, um, you know, I, she called me up and I was like, oh crap, I'm going to get punished for this, right? Mm. She had me read it in front of the class because she loved it. Oh. Yeah. And it turned, I always felt like this strange, not strange, but just this warmth around her. And I just kind of instinctively knew she was a Christian um, because of that. But yeah, so um, after, you know, that, you know, writing became kind of a tool for me to cope. And I mainly wrote uh, horror stories um, because that was just kind of the way, I guess, to process my own stuff. But uh, let's see, I'm trying to jump ahead here. So, like, I went through a period where, like, I uh, did party a lot. I, you know, um, you know, just ran around, um, you know, as a kind of response to everything. I uh, ended up dropping out of high school. And uh, had to have uh, my own come to Jesus moment. It was, uh, you know, I went to start going to a small, well, it wasn't small, but it was just this Quaker church out in Denver, Colorado. Mm. And they were one of those churches that were so loving that I couldn't, uh, yeah, I just couldn't deny that there was something there. Yeah. And the youth pastor was absolutely amazing. The pastor was absolutely amazing. They were not pissed off at all about the questions I was asking. Mm. And so I eventually kind of came to faith, but part of uh, coming to faith um, with all the bells and whistles was uh, realizing um, I was about to kind of enter a culture 
where, you know, it's majority white, majority Christian, where kind of stories like the ones I had in my head weren't exactly going to want to be heard. Um, yeah. So I kind of wrestled with that and I eventually uh, got called into ministry uh, about seven months later. I was at a uh, church camp and when I got called into it, I made a deal with God. I said, okay, if you can graduate me from high school, um, I will do this. And so I only had like four and a half credits, GPA of 0 0.5 at the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then, um, so I was like, okay, God, that's our contract. Not that that's the healthiest theology. But, sure. Um, but it's where you were, man. It was real. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And then uh, about two weeks after that, I got enrolled in a night school and ended up finishing my education in two and a half months. So, wow. Yeah. So I was like, okay, God, I got it. So, I go okay. To okay. I have a question. I have a question. Oh, go for it. How, how were your parents dealing with this? Like coming from a fundamentalist background, you kind of walked away, had a come to Jesus moment, hanging out with the Quakers and like experiencing this like a restoration, like a real restoration of your spiritual journey or a start in this case. Like, Oof, what were, yeah, that's a great question. Doing with that. I think they were just happy. I'm, I became Christian. I'll put it like mm. that. Um, yeah, there's still like a lot of fundamental theological disagreements we still talk about. But um, yeah, when I became a Quaker, it wasn't the way they intended. But, you know, yeah. I think they were just glad to see me not doing what I was doing. Mm. So yeah. I, I, I just immediately, I'm, I'm kind of curious. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have a question. Like, I got to ask about that story. And so you you made the deal with God, and God was like, "Okay, two and a half months, you're done." Yeah, yeah it was just uh, it was nuts. Yeah. Um, okay, I, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was uh, really tough for me to map my head around. And when I was applying to, uh, it was a Berkeley College in Kansas. And um, when I was applying there, when I handed in my transcripts, it still read zero point five GPA, four and a half credits. So yeah. it took a very yeah. long time to yeah. explain the situation. Um, oh. But man, so yeah, when I was 19, I headed out to Kansas with two bags of clothes and on a bus. And yeah, so I got a lot of healing there. I think, you know, when I look back at it, um, there wasn't any other place, you know, that was more better for me. Um, you know, because uh, when you're in the middle of nowhere, you're forced to confront yourself. And so this was a town of about 800 people. Yeah. Uh, mm. So, yeah, it was really very healing. Um, but, you know, still it had that um, evangelical element to it. And, uh, yeah. you know, I was coming in swearing, and, you know, all this stuff. Of course. Yeah, it was just, you know, but. When you're going to a school where it's like a third of them are homeschoolers, it's just, yeah, you learn quick to try to censor yourself. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I still really struggled um, with creativity because I didn't know how to put a language to it. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that kind of sparks, you know, when I look back at it now, uh, this is going to be probably terrible for people who this movie really touched, but this was just my experience of it. So War Room, right? Mm -hmm. When it came out, I did not want to see it because I knew it just wasn't my kind of film. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was uh, preaching out in another small town at the time. This was about when I was, let's see, 21. And they bought me tickets. I was like, crud, now I have to work. And so. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was just like this uh, fancy theater. Um, that they had built in a small town called Greensburg. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to it. You know, it can't be that bad. And I'm sitting there and the whole film, you know, I'm just going to spoil it for those who haven't seen it. The film's premise is that this woman comes to Jesus. She prays hard enough. Everything works out because, uh, you know, they're on the verge of a divorce, you know, right. whatever. And I was sitting there thinking in the theater, I was like, 
wouldn't it have been a more powerful story if this woman kept her faith despite the divorce? Mm. You know, wouldn't it have been more powerful? Now, what does this communicate to people who have been through a divorce? You know? And it just really bothered me. And the whole way the audience was responding to it was bothering me. Because they were acting like, oh, this is what true Christians experience is like, that if they um, only just prayed hard enough, that spouse would have stayed yeah. around. If you create your war room, right? If you yeah, create, go create your room where you go and you, you pray all yeah. the time and you pray faithfully and you do the right thing, God is going to bless you with whatever you ask for. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And um, when I was watching that, I was just so depressed. It was just like is there any room for screw ups in Christianity? Mm. Is there any room for Mm. people? You know, like here I was about to serve, you know, I don't know if I would have called myself an evangelical, but I'm definitely evangelical adjacent. Um, But just like how in the world can I serve a culture where their ideals are this um, warped, I guess. Mm. Their worldviews are this warped. Yeah. this entire time, I was kind of keeping uh, books I really loved kind of under the radar. Um, I'm a big Cormac McCarthy fan. I read The Road. Okay. Um, really changed my life. I read um, Law of Raymond Carver. Um, okay. The novel uh, The Exorcist really got to me. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was reading all this stuff, and I'm just like, why is this touching me more? Um than you know a lot of the christian fiction i've been exposed to right. why is this right um why is this speaking to me more than like you know because that's where i would often find god um mm. and even in like movies uh my favorite movie i think in college some of my favorite movies you know there's uh paris texas uh, have you seen that i haven't seen paris texas but oh I've dude you gotta that. get on it it's one of yeah it's one of the best displays of repentance I've ever seen. It's this guy's process of repairing his life after disappearing for four years. Mm. And it's one of the most beautiful endings too. And um, I remember watching that, just being moved to tears, just watching this guy get his life back together. And then there was another movie, um, Silver Linings Playbook that really touched me. Um, Yep. Yeah. And all those movies, um, and stories that were speaking to me when I would talk about them with people, um, with Christians, especially they didn't seem to get it. Um, mm. it's just kind of like, I wonder what the disconnect here is. But, um, so anyway, I graduate from college. Uh, great. It was a great experience for me. Again, my first pastorate. Um, so I, uh, this is going to be a huge, uh, kind of wrench in the story, <laughs> but, uh, just kind of a heads up. It's unexpected, but, um, I went to Iraq on a human rights delegation with, uh, community peacemaker teams. Wow. Yeah. It was in, um, September, 2017. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I went there, um, and it completely, you know, altered my face, shifted things forever for me. Yeah. And I also saw, frankly, the um, firsthand disastrous results of, you know, evangelical culture. Um, mm. Because, you know, when the Iraq war began, uh, I remember to this day, John MacArthur, you know, going on Fox News saying, using the Old Testament to justify what happened. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that just like altered things forever <clears throat> for me. And yeah. So, yeah, I went through uh, just processing that. And I went home, actually, after that and wrote two short stories. Uh, both of them got published later on, about a few years later, when I had the courage to do that. Um, but, yeah, that really kind of shifted things. Like, I spent, like, um, now I would say, you know, Iraq by itself wasn't the experience that led to this. But it was just I eventually entered this weird state for a few for about two or three years where I was kind of uh, numb, um, mm. you know, just trying to bounce back from this. And eventually, I, uh, you know, when 2020 entered around, um, 
put it mildly. Uh, I started doing therapy. And good. Yeah. Therapy's good. <laughs> Therapy's good. awesome. Yay for therapy. Yeah. She was a pastor, actually. Um, she had a lot of uh, Anabaptist Quaker connections. So it was really amazing how God worked that out uh, when I look back at it. Um, you know, in this entire time, it wasn't like a physical rock bottom. In fact, I earned my master's while I was doing this. I was, you know, my church was growing at the time. Yeah. Um, oh, a little fact about my church that's a little fun. I was in a community of 35 people. Very, very rural Wisconsin. It was called Mountain yeah. Friends. That is so, about as rural as it gets. That's like oh, yeah. four families. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Oh, but it was a great experience. But, you know, so when the pandemic started, you know, what was an isolated community became all of a sudden way more isolated. And so, yeah, I gone to therapy. Um, yeah. And, you know, just started addressing these things within myself. And, you know, on top of this, I was an on-call hospital chaplain. Um, and so just experiencing that mess during COVID. And, yeah, yeah. Um, working part-time at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, So yeah, there just seemed to be at like the exact intersection of being all at the most stressful points in time at the worst time. Yeah. And so 2021 rolls around, uh, it was January. And, uh, you know, I finally, you know, have processed um, all these crazy things, but in a weird, weirdest time possible to do it, I think. Yeah. and I just feel this uh, urge to start writing again. Um, and I looked around at, you know, the culture around me and I was like, if there was ever a time for stories to be told in like a really blunt spiritual matter, it's now. Um, so I started, I contacted a writing coach. I um, just sat down and I just decided it's like, it's time to just be honest about the way life is about how the world is because i think mm-hmm. what the world needs now are honest christians not because during the pandemic you know the leading force you know in science denial and conspiracy theories it was christians yeah you know yeah and um a part of my i guess cultural repentance for that is like these contributions so i contacted uh, a writing coach and I sat down writing and um, after about a month of working on one story I uh, it was about a human rights worker trying to repair a broken marriage with uh, his wife and that mm-hmm. story had been in my mind for years uh, that was actually one of the first stories I wrote when I came back from Iraq and I you know I wrote it I was like this is very niche it's very Christian focused but there's like a few f bombs. There's a few yeah. talks about addiction, you know. Yeah. And uh, I was like, "Who's gonna pick this up?" And so I just, uh, you know, started submitting places and just kind of accepted it was not gonna get picked up. And this was actually during Holy Week. Um, I was uh, in a dumpster because one of my employees uh, accidentally threw away important paperwork. Mm. So I was just kind of covered. You know, it was kind of a normal mm. experience. You work with kids. You, as you know, you're a parent, you pick up like all this garbage accidentally. <laughs> and I was uh, working in the dumpster and my phone vibrates and I go to check it. And I find out only after about four rejections that that story had been accepted. Wow. Yeah. And like, I was like moved to tears. That was a childhood dream of mine. Yeah. And so I hopped out of the dumpster. I hugged my boss <laughs> with like the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe I'm a published writer. I did it. (laughs) Back in the dumpster. Okay. (laughs) Going back in the dumpster. Yeah. And that just, I couldn't believe that, you know, that had been picked up. Mm. And every single story that has been published since, I still can't believe it's been picked up because they are so explicitly Christian. Yeah. But they are also so explicitly honest and explicit and brutal. Mm. But they're telling the stories of people I grew up with. They're telling the stories of, you know, frankly, people that I don't know, but I know that 
I imagine myself in their situation. I wonder how I would have handled that. Yeah. So, and it's kind of funny because I'm also a sitcom screenwriter. Um, (laughs) As one is. As one is. Yeah, as one is. And so, yeah, it's just kind of an interesting balance of being able to tell, finding ways to tell the truth fully. And a world that um, doesn't like to process these heavy things. Mm. And so, um, you know, okay, let's, uh, you know, I know we talked crap on Halloween Kills or yeah. Halloween Ends, you know. Yeah. But this is my specific critique of it. It's using a TikTok level of psychology to explain trauma. Ooh, come on. Yeah. Let's go. This is one of the things there were, there were no joke as you were talking, there's like 12 things that I'm like, okay, we could talk about that. We could talk about that, but let's, let's talk Mm -hmm. about honest representations of trauma in, in stories and literature and why you felt like some of the secular, um, Mm -hmm. some of the secular uh, manifestations of that. Some of this, like maybe are more true. Like, let's go there. Let's talk about that. TikTok level trauma. Keep going. I'm going to let you cook. All right, go. Okay. So Halloween ends. Um, When I look at that, you know, I'm a doctoral student. I'm always thinking theologically. So when I look at that, I think this movie would appeal to someone with middle-class despair. And I think this movie would probably appeal to someone who is terrified of codependency. Hmm. But the thing is the way that codependency is displayed in that movie, um, what was the daughter's name? Allison. So yeah, yeah. like um, when Allison falls for that uh, serial killer, you know, it, it feels very forced. It feels yeah. very, <laughs> I'm sorry, John Carpenter. I know you produced yeah. this movie. Please, if we ever meet, but <laughs> um, John, so this forced. is not, this is not a knock. This is Nathan is for you. I am for you, John Carpenter. You're my third favorite JC after Johnny Cash and Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just um when i saw these characters it's like you know somebody watched a bunch of tiktoks saying oh when you experience trauma you become codependent on your people who look like your abuser but none of that was believable in that movie because that wasn't a human reaction it's like oh i killed someone and so it's just <laughs> right <laughs> you know right. the guy was just yeah, I don't know anyone that would go out that guy. Yeah, <laughs> well, it would. It part of my fantasy rewrite was like he yeah. should have been the boyfriend from the first movie. That would have made so oh, much yeah. more sense. Like mm-hmm. somebody that she has known, invested in, connected with, instead of you've known this person for forty eight hours and now you're running away with them out of the city, and you, you're trying to display this level of codependency. It's a great. By the way, your explanation is fantastic. Like it just, it was so, it felt rushed. Like the time didn't make sense and the connection didn't make sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's display display of responding to trauma as like a prepper. They should have kept that. Like you just don't overcome that, you know, anyway. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of like, it felt like somebody looked at a bunch of TikTok videos about codependency and trauma, tried Mm. to cram it in. Instead of actually kind of doing the work and, you know, reflecting, it's like, how would trauma accurately display? And if Allison becoming codependent is the spooky thing, you're not doing things right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, okay. And part of what you're surfacing is this idea of dealing with trauma, like serious, deep trauma with shallow platitude level um, response mm-hmm. or explanation. Yeah. And I think that, mm-hmm. and Halloween ends is a connection to maybe some of the Christian movies that you saw of something like war room that you use an example of like, we're not, we're not really getting the 80% below the iceberg. We're just kind of dealing with what's up here of like, yeah. Hey, if you pray hard enough, if you pray hard enough and you do the right thing, everything's going to work out. And mm-hmm. uh, the other end of like, yeah, man, trauma is hard. And I watch enough TikToks to know that blah, blah, blah. Right. We're not actually diving into the depth because those are very uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the the phrase that I've used with friends and on the podcast a couple of times is that 
a lot of Christianity has a anemic theology of suffering. Oh, absolutely. And that anemic theology of suffering, I think, is leading more people away from the church Mm -hmm. than almost anything else outside of politics because it doesn't match up with life. Mm -hmm. It's the point that you're making of going, I can't imagine the divorced women that are going to see War Room that feel shame or guilt. Yeah. Of going, and it's not that War Room is a bad movie. Like, I know personally, people, that movie changed their life and changed their marriage. Yeah. And so, like, exactly. shout out to you. Like, hey, we're yeah. not, we're, we're not telling you. I that that's your bad. Yep. <laughs> but at, at the same, exactly. I'm not here to yuck your yum. But at the same time, there are a lot of people watching that going, well, I guess if I would have just prayed harder, he would have stayed. Or if I would have prayed harder, it would have restored the marriage. And there's this anemic theology of suffering that doesn't match our life circumstances. Where we are faithful, we give, we pray, we worship, we try to do all of the things, especially people that are kind of trying out Christianity. And then they go, oh, my life still sucks. Yeah. And, And a better picture, right, of a robust theology of suffering is sometimes the horror movies and secular movies that we watch Mm -hmm. where it's not trying to bring it down to a platitude. Most of them are going, yeah, man, this is complex and sucks, but let's journey. Mm -hmm. And something like, even though I haven't seen Paris, Texas, I literally just looked it up. I'm like, I gotta watch that. Um, I imagine the journey is fraught with complexities Mm-hmm. and tensions and things oh, yeah. that are unresolved oh yeah and yeah, that is really. close that, that's closer to life yeah. than well i came back i apologized i made peace everything is fine i'm rich we're good because <laughs> an, an anemic theology of suffering is one step away from a prosperity gospel of, yeah exactly i yeah. this is one of my oh boy so I went to, I eventually ended up in 12 step that address like complex PTSD. You know, it, mm. there's a whole, there's a, there's a 12 step group for everything. Right. Yeah. So I've been in that program for about <laughs> three years. Yeah. Um, something I found fascinating in 12 step culture is that you're forced to reckon with suffering. You're forced to reckon that you are responsible for your actions. Mm. Right? What I tend to see in Christian media and Christian circles is that they say, sorry to God, that's it. Ooh, come on. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's part of what my story, like my fiction and um, the stories I tell is that we have a moral responsibility to the people we hurt. We have a moral responsibility for, you know, even the ways we, you know, support things in the past, maybe. Um, repentance is more than just feeling sorry. Repentance is get it. (laughs) Yeah. Repentance is fully owning what we've done. And, you know, as a 12 step culture would say, living amends. Um, yes. Okay. Sorry. I know that you're from a tradition where maybe you're less charismatic and there's not always somebody shouting while you're preaching. Um, but you are cooking. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, we live in such a self-centered, um, you know, culture that, you know, the idea of being, you know, accountable is terrifying. Yeah. You know, to most people. Yeah. You know, it, you know, especially around, you know, uh, if you don't know how to face your consequences of your actions, um, how are you going to grow as a person? Mm. How are you going to grow as a Christian? But that message, a lot of evangelical culture, a lot of evangelical books sell as a self-centered halfway repentance, Mm. you know, and, you know, full repentance means ownership. It means turning around from the things you've been doing. And, you know, I think a lot of people hear repentance outside evangelical circles, especially they get this fundamentalist, you know, pulpit pounding version. But really what it's about is being conscious of your flaws and working on them. Yeah. And it's about committing to not do the same thing again. Mm. Like on my phone, I have all my character defects and I look at them to remind myself when I'm about to do something stupid, <laughs> you know? Wow. And yeah, but it's just, um, 
yeah, it's just not in our theology. It's not in American Christian theology right now. You know, have you ever listened to Joel Osteen's sermon? I have listened to a few here and there. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, man, I'm just going after everyone. <laughs> but yeah. I, I listen to them for experiments because I'm trying to figure out what they are. And if you listen to his sermons, people are never responsible for their actions. Wow. Yeah. It's all about personal success. It's all about, okay, if you just believe enough, if you say sorry to God, he will bless you. Oh, man. Okay. 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 This is so good because there's something to the popularity of kind of the shark lifestyle of just keep moving forward, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, meaning like you're not looking back in any substantive way mm-hmm. you're not looking back as a oh man i really feel like i can get better about x y or z you're just like nope just more just gotta try harder and get that personal success and pray and and move forward there's not a lot of reflection okay this will be interesting to you do you know how many i read an article recently in the atlantic guess how many people want to be influencers in gen z most of them. What? Well, I don't know. Yeah. 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 And that tells you just how narcissistic our culture has become. Yeah. How self-centered. And like, when you look at it in the stories, you know, Halloween ends again. Do you remember Allison owning what she did? Hmm. <laughs> no. What mm. happens is they just take the bot, Michael Myers, throw him. Okay. Spoiler alert. But they just, yeah. you know, they never, <laughs> but they you never, never see characters. Yeah. Yeah. You just never see people really owning what they've done and making things right. And a lot of these stories, you know, it's a, just a sorry to God. You keep doing what I'm doing. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, man, dude, first of all, you and I are probably like, we are compatible to talk for seven hours. Um, yeah. Like <laughs> just the way that we're like wired and everything. There's something to the idea of of cre- creativity because there's a whole creativity strand that in some ways is one of the challenges, I think, with Christian creativity is that mm-hmm. we know the answer and we fast forward to the answer because we're, di- we're uncomfortable with the messy middle. Mm-hmm. And so if we make a Christian movie, it's that prayer works. And so it's got to end with prayer working and we have to have a resolve because tension, tension is almost worse than sin in the church. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's, I mean, this is going off topic, but I think that's part of why abuse culture thrives Mm -hmm. um, because it's, it requires tension to call somebody out for abuse and let it sit and let the fullness of it come to light. But that's a godly act to like acknowledge that and, the crazy thing about Jesus is that he created tension everywhere he went. That's like the mm-hmm. number one thing he did. He created tension in like every interaction, which is very interesting. Sorry, getting back to your point. Now I'm preaching my own sermon. Um, <laughs> it, we we want to skip the messy middle. We want to yeah. skip the part that sucks. We want to skip the part that's hard. We want to skip the part that's the dark night of the soul. We want to skip the part that doesn't have easy answers. And so if in an, if in an hour and a half or two hours, you can just wrap everything up, it feels shallow mm-hmm. um, to many believers to, to, as a piece of art, it feels shallow mm-hmm. as a sermon. It feels very fulfilling. Um, yeah. And a lot of times Christian art is more like a sermon than a piece of art um, mm-hmm. because it's got, Hey, this is my premise. This is the thesis. Mm-hmm. This is what you need to do. Um, and such uh, m- most good art causes you to look inward yeah, and mm-hmm. reflect. And man, that's a hard thing for us to do. What do you think? There's a lot of people. I, I say a lot of people. There will be people that are listening that are like, okay, like this is pretty heady. Like what, what can we do as John Q or Jane Q church attender? to kind of foster communities and atmospheres where we look a little deeper at things like repentance and, and we uh, approach suffering in a healthier way. 
I think one of the first things we do is honestly try to get off social media. I'm a total hypocrite. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Twitter is my favorite dumpster fire. Yeah. But um, oh, it's such a good dumpster fire, though. It really oh, it's is. so fun! Like it's the only social media platform where you can make the CEO cry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a, you are you are not afraid of chaotic environments. This is something that I've learned about you. Oh yeah, uh, throw me in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give me a match. But um, yeah, so. I would honestly say throw out the platitudes, throw them all out. And instead of trying to comfort the person crying, sit with them. Mm. Don't resolve their problems for them. Don't sit with them and do what they ask, what they need at that moment. Um, Because growth takes time. Um, Healing takes a lot of time. Um, And don't expect a Disney ending. Hmm. Um, because, you know, often, um, I think when we approach other people's pain, uh, we have a toxic positivity unintentionally with it that we want to force go. (laughs) Sorry. Yes, that's good. Don't apologize for being awesome. Like that's, (laughs) that's a great point. Uh, just that yeah. phrase, when we approach people's pain, mm-hmm. woo, I think we like to drive by. I think we like yeah. to wave from the sidewalk, but approaching people's pain without toxic positivity. That's so good. Sorry, I interrupted you. It was just so good. Oh, it's fine. <clears throat> um, yeah, so when we approach it from that angle and when we ha- feel like we have the solution for them, you are not being there for that person. You are not being there for that friend. You have to be willing to sit in the mess. And you have to be willing to take care of yourself in the mess. Mm. Um, mm. Because, okay, so um, I, I think in terms of movies and literature and theology yeah. all the time. But so there's a movie that came out last year, Close. Did you see it? Uh, No, I don't think so. Okay. It's a devastating movie. So it's about this. Uh, no, I probably avoided it because I was like, oh, that looks that looks devastating. Oh, it, it's a cathartic good cry. But uh, it's about this. Um, you know, I, you're unsure if he's the gay, if he's gay. But like mm. these two kids get bullied because of a homophobia at the school. So one of his friends commits suicide and it's him processing the death. And it's one of the best displays of grief I've ever seen. And in the background with farm fields, you know, you see it growing that mm. he's slowly coming to this place of healing. Mm. One of the best, like, oh my gosh, it was a tearjerker. The second movie that comes to mind is like Tender Mercies um, okay. with Robert Duvall. You've seen that one? Uh, I, I It's been so long ago, but yeah, yeah, he's a country music star, right? Oh yeah. Okay. But if you look in the background, as he is processing all the crap, the fields are slowly starting to become greener. Greener. Wow. Wow. As he's becoming this like spiritual person. And so I tend to approach people's grief and pain in that same way of like that imagery. Like this is a farm field that needs to be tended to, that needs to be that I need to be present for. And it's not gonna happen overnight. Yeah. Man. Uh, well, okay. I mean, even that resonates in so many ways just because it's the analogy of many of our modern kind of mega church culture is factories and industry mm-hmm. versus gardens and farms. Yeah. And I, I think healing looks different when you approach it from a different, uh, you mm-hmm. know, from a different illustration, from a different yeah. metaphor. Yeah. And it's just, um, I've noticed, especially in social media culture, there's this pressure, social media culture, if that's a thing, but like there's this pressure to immediately bounce back from a tragedy and to write Mm. some feel good thing. What would something, how would our culture, how, how would you be there for the person that goes onto social media and say, my life has sucked for the past year. These are all the ways and I have not seen God. How would you sit with that? 
Wow. Yeah. Yep. You just kind of see like all these pressures to almost put a bandaid on a broken leg. Yeah. And call it good. Yeah. But what we need and like through like our stories, through our ministry is like, just grieve, Mm. just heal, get into recovery, you know, get into a state of like repentance, not in the sense that you're a terrible, awful person, but in the sense of do the things that you know are healthy and good. Yeah. Good Lord. Okay. There's so many things that we could talk about. And unfortunately, like usually try to keep the podcast like 45 minutes or so. Golly, because there's a whole thing we can talk about related to horror movies and people that Mm -hmm. grew up in traumatic situations tend to gravitate towards horror movies. Mm -hmm. Like I would love to have that exploration with you. We got to have you back on. Okay. Uh, Because like, (laughs) like truly like this is next level stuff. And processing your creativity and what you're talking about and your stories. And like, I don't know, man, that's so exciting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I have a million questions for you. What? So like, okay, I I guess I'm asking you for the summary. Like you've given a really good steps of sitting with people, right? Of, of asking the hypothetical. If somebody said my life has sucked and I don't see God. Like, how do you approach that and kind of sitting in that? And so do you have any other advice for navigating that messy middle? Uh, Educate yourself, read a lot of memoirs. Um, I didn't know how to be there for families dealing with cancer until I read a memoir. No ministry book can prepare you for that. Wow. Um, Yeah. And one of the biggest compliments I ever got for my writing, you know, my recently published is back in December. It's about this 30-year-old who gets brain cancer, and it's him processing his life mistakes. And one of the best compliments I've ever gotten in my writing was this stranger who was dying from cancer saying, thank you for writing a story that was so real. Wow. Because I did not shy away from the tough stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and that's probably like a compliment that, you know, I'm not sure what can top that. Yeah. But um, you're never going to forget that one. Oh, no, never. And um, if you can make the person dying feeling seen, if you can read those memoirs, go through the tough stuff of research, it will benefit your life greatly for or everyone around you. But also work on yourself. Because if you're not actively working on yourself, you're not going to be present for the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. Good night, dude. Nathan, this was fantastic, man. Oh, thanks. So we're about to fun. head into the non-judgment zone of joy. Okay. All so right. what kind of, uh, to? I'm going to compose a theme song. I, I say compose. I'm going to, in the next seconds, put together a theme song. And um, what musical influences, like what have you been listening to lately? I listen to a lot of folk rock. Okay. Like give me an example. <laughs> Um, Lumineers, um, okay. and Sons. Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay, and then once I, after the song, I'll let you know when it's time to go. And you don't have to sing along uh, because I'm making it up on the spot. So you really can. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you what is bringing you joy right now. I don't know why I picked up a pencil, but I did. <laughs> um, when I think of... When I think of folk rock, I think of like mandolins and banjos. And so mm-hmm. we're going to start from there where it's like, bing, ding, ding, bing, ding, 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 um, imagine a mandolin in the background. So Nathan, what is bringing you joy? Mm. Uh, you know, honestly, you know, I, my prayer life, meditation life has gone through the roof recently and yeah, I have just been really content. Um, you know, for the first time in a while, I am just like waking up with hymns in my head because mm. of this and it's just, yeah, just really in a good spot. Um, yeah. So for that, that's just what's bringing joy for now. That's, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Like truly beautiful because I think, 
for people who have been in like a meditative like mm-hmm. contemplative space i think they'll know exactly what you're talking about i think mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who haven't been in that space and don't know the level of joy that can come from that kind of experience and i think oh, that's yeah. that's one of the the missing pieces of the messy middle right there of mm-hmm. just those personal spiritual practices of it's a self-care practice in a mm-hmm. in a filling of the well kind of way um, yeah that that's just a, a different level yeah i'm definitely grateful to you know my quaker roots for bringing me there so yeah bro nathan okay so if people want to read your stories if people want to follow you if people want to connect with you where should they find you uh i'm mainly on twitter but you can easily look me up on facebook i accept whatever friend request if you don't look suspicious um my twitter handle is at nparent under dash writer um and my website for now is nathanparent.weebly.com and i need to update all that but all my stories can be found there. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, where I interact the most is Twitter and yeah. Check him out on Twitter, read his stories. I'm going to your website right now. Um, Mm -hmm. just hang out with him, man. You're awesome. And again, I would love to have you back on to chat more because I think we're kindred spirits in a certain way, especially about creativity and horror movies and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I'd love to talk about that. Could do that all day. (laughs) Yeah, well, Better on the Inside Gang, go check out Nathan's website. uh, And I'll make sure that in the show notes, you guys can click on it, read his stories, do all that stuff. Nathan, thank you for joining me, man. Oh, thank you for having me on. All right. Y'all, I really enjoyed my conversation with Nathan. Uh, What an awesome dude. We we talked Halloween. We talked a lot about movies. Uh, We also talked about art and everything else. I mean, he... Great dude, salt of the earth. Such an interesting, like Anabaptist Quaker pastor, like rootedness. I, those those folks, anybody I've talked to from that tradition is just so fascinating. Anyway, I love my time with Nathan. If you want to know more about him, Nathan Perrin Ryder. That's Nathan P, and then uh, then right. Not I'm not spelling Nathan wrong. Nathan P E R R I N Ryder W R I T E R dot com. NathanParenWriter.com, and you can find his stuff there and find more ways to contact him. I man, he's so thoughtful. It would be cool to have a conversation with him. Crack open a Topo Chico to just sit and chill. Hopefully, it's not as hot as it is has been this summer in Texas. But I do hope you get to sit with him by a body of water and just chill and pick his brain for a little while. Well, I enjoyed it, man. I love you guys. So thankful that y'all are here in our uh, in our Beyond Sunday moment this season. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. I hope you guys are enjoying it too. As always, like, subscribe. You can always hang out on our Substack, Beyond Sunday Substack, or you can join our Facebook group, Better on the Inside. And that's a really cool Facebook group and a lot of really great people there. Well, thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. You can continue the conversation by subscribing to our Substack, Beyond Sunday, at Substack.com.